Hey everybody and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Abajemra and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're gonna find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you wanna know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. All right, some of you are still checking in. Uh, we're excited to start Unshaken, Strong in Faith, No Matter What, Lesson 29, Hebrews 11. So much of our struggle in the Christian life is when things feel or seem like they're not. You know, we think one thing, we feel one thing, but it's not reality. And so when it comes to faith, sometimes it's easy to sort of get in the cycle. In fact, I was thinking about some of those times where it feels like our faith is pointless. It's vain, right? And so think about the times when that happens. I mean, you might be convinced of your faith, but there are people around us who are looking at us and going, I don't know how they live. It just seems pointless. You're wasting your life. A lot of people look in on Christianity and they think of it as a set of rules. And you think, man, man you're living by these rules and you're wasting your best years. And, and we're going to see in a minute these people that are in Hebrews 11. This is the, the hall of fame of people of faith in the word of God. And there are many others, by the way, who are, are names that have impacted my life, who are well known for living very similar to the lives of the people in Hebrews 11, men and women that you know, men and women that you have been influenced by. And we'll talk about some of them in a minute, but, but, but it's easy to look from the outside. If you are without faith, the life of faith seems pointless. You ever think about that? If you are watching, if you, if you remember back when you were without faith for a season until you had faith, looking at the life of faith, man, you could be like, man, you're wasting your life. Why are you doing this? Well, the problem is many Christians, we can be living in focus and by faith, and we might hit seasons in our life where it feels pointless. Why am I doing this? In fact, this year in 2020, with all the struggles that we've gone through, there have been seasons in my life where I've sort of stopped and been like, but I don't understand why is this happening and why am I even bothering to connect on Zoom with my local church, to read my Bible every day, to, to whatever list of things that we do, the disciplines that feed our soul in Christ. Not that that's, the, I mean, the rules, the things we live by are sort of, uh, some of them are man-made, but by and large, those activities that we do, that we identify with our faith and the activities that people before us have done in order to tune in with God. It, you can look at those things and wonder, man, why? Why am I doing it? And here are some of the seasons when it has felt pointless to me. Um, when we suffer for obedience, you obey God, you do what God has asked you to do, you live out by faith, you know, your life. And so early in your Christian life, you might be living for the Lord. And at some point you assume if I do my part, God's going to do his. And, and then it doesn't happen that way. You instead suffer despite obedience. And remember, we started the series way back in March. And, and that was a case for so many Christians that, that we looked at all the way back to in Genesis and moving on. There were many who initially made right decisions, but despite their obedience, they suffered. And, um, 
And it's easy in those seasons to wonder, man, is my faith worth it? Um, another time when we might question our faith, uh, where we go, man, is this worth it, is when the waiting goes long. And that is the story of many of the people listed in Hebrews 11. In fact, Abraham, we're going to look at in a minute, that when the waiting goes long, you come to God, you have a need, you present it to God, and the waiting goes on and on and on, and you start to go, man, is this worth it? Is this pointless? Is this going to lead anywhere? Here's another uh, season when, when you might ask, you know, is my faith worth it? Uh, when others seem to be doing better than me. You, you ever catch yourself comparing your life to others? And, and especially if those who do not have faith in God seem to be doing better than you. This was a classic Psalm 73, the uh, man who wrote the uh, Psalm 73. That was his, the essence of his uh, moaning in that chapter. He was like, man, all I do is obey God and then here are the worldly people and they're getting away with it and I don't understand it. And, and so it's easy to compare your life to others, whether in the church or outside of the church and be like, man, they're doing so much better than me. It seems pointless to live for God. It seems pointless to trust God. And, and, and here's another, we're just looking here before we get into Hebrews 11, it, times in our lives when our faith feels pointless, when we suffer for obedience, when the waiting goes too long, when others seems to be doing better, when God seems far away when I need him the most. You ever feel like, man, I really need the Lord. I've, I, we've talked so much about that in this year. I talk about that a lot in the podcast and a lot of my teaching. Often in life, you want to feel the closeness of the Lord as a single woman, go through seasons of loneliness. We're hitting the holidays. We're in COVID isolation. So many people feel that. We've had a lot of widows here and we feel this loneliness. And those are the times when you're like, man, I got to feel God's presence now. And, and, and listen, by faith, this is the chapter tonight, it's by faith, but it's so easy for Satan to come in and, and to question, man, is, is this worth it? Is my faith worth it? Because I don't feel God's presence. And those are seasons when, when that pointlessness, when that vain, you know, am I really wasting my life here? And you start to question, or here's the last one I jotted down, um, when our faith feels pointless, when we try and we fail. You ever try to live for God, try to overcome sin, and whether you're doing it in the flesh or not, you know, you might be doing it, you might be thinking you're doing it in the spirit and you keep failing and you're like, man, I don't know if this is worth it. And Satan loves to come into our lives and to just to remind us of our failure and to condemn us by the things that we've done. And listen, there is freedom in Christ and, and the examples that we see in Hebrews 11 were not perfect, but they lived by faith. And a reminder again, as we've looked into the stories of men and women before us who were never, never, never perfect. The only person who was perfect is Jesus. And yet God uses them in Hebrews 11 as examples of people whose lives were lived by faith. In fact, Hebrews 11 starts with, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is what you hope for. So it hasn't happened yet. And we're going to see that theme in Hebrews 11. So faith is this assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So there's an assurance, there's a conviction. It hasn't happened yet. So there, there's a gap between what we know is going to happen and what is now. That's where faith steps in. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Story of God is a story of faith. You go back to Genesis chapter one and how God created the world. And no wonder people today in 2020 still argue about the merits of Genesis one. I believe in a young earth. I believe that God created the world in six days and then he rested on the seventh. But there's much debate about that, but it takes faith to believe God's word. That doesn't discount aspects of science, but there's a faith in the greatness of God and the sovereignty of God and the ability of God and, and the awesomeness, the awesome mystery of how God can create the impossible out of what is not there and, and create this universe that we see. Man, the entire story of Jesus is one of God speaking life into, think about Mary, we're celebrating now the birth of Jesus and how God 
you know, became man through the Virgin Mary, a woman who, who seemed so random in the, the middle of nowhere in a town that no one had heard of. She had no accolades and God chooses her and, and he births himself. He comes in the form of man and, and comes and is born. And you think about that and you go, how, how, how does anybody believe that? There was no relationship with a man. This was, this was something that happened by the Holy Spirit. She's begotten of God. You know, Jesus was begotten by the Father and, and you kind of go, man, how? I don't understand it. And by faith, by faith, by faith. And, 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 and if you don't have faith, it's easy to be like, man, you're wasting your efforts. But, but we see these men and women, and now this chapter goes through in a book, by the way, the book of Hebrews, unknown author, uh, the theories, a lot of people, the pastor I grew up uh, under his leadership thought that Paul wrote it. He was convinced of that. I don't know who wrote Hebrews. There's a lot of uh, theories. Some people think maybe Barnabas, maybe Luke, maybe Apollos, maybe, I don't know. All this to say, uh, uh, it's an incredible book in the Bible. It is incredible. And it um, talks about the priestly role of Jesus and, and so many, um, uh, so much of the Old Testament is explained in Hebrews. I'm going to teach that if not this coming year the following I have a teaching that I've already prepared I love this book but in Hebrews 11 we are focusing on this on 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 the entire book of Hebrews is talking on, about this theme that Jesus is better, that no matter what we have here on this earth, Jesus is better. And these men and women that we're going to see in Hebrews 11 are men and women who saw that in their life. They lived by that. They were convinced that Jesus is better. So I'm going to give you sort of three thoughts. I know that's a bit of an intro here, but, but kind of, and it's a long chapter. We're not going to go through all of it. I'm going to read you a few verses. And I want to sort of narrow in on three thoughts about um, this idea of, of what makes our faith real and not pointless and, and sort of contrasting that to people who, who don't understand that, who are without faith. And so, so let me give you the first point and then I'm gonna read a little bit more and set this up a bit. So, so unshaken when my faith seems pointless. Number one, to people without a clear commitment to the promise giver, life by faith is pointless. To people without a clear commitment to the promise giver, Life by faith is pointless. So you look at people without faith and people with faith and the biggest difference. And so I'm not talking here. Hebrews 11 is not talking about any faith all over the world in anything. There are people who believe in rocks. That's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about faith here, we're talking about what God created. We're talking about the only living God. And we're talking about the God of the Bible. And, and that God is not a God who imposes on us a set of rules. He doesn't impose religion on us. We're not joining a club. When you join Christianity, the entire people now don't like to even use the term Christianity. They want to talk about themselves as being followers of Jesus. And I like the word Christianity. I believe it defines what we are, but it's so easy to get sidetracked. There's a lot of people who call themselves uh, Christians who have no knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's not the pattern we see in Hebrews 11. In fact, we start seeing a list of men and women and, and we start seeing this theme of connection, of commitment to a person. God is a spirit, but, but we see that there's a relational thing that happens. These are not men and women who are convinced of a system. These are men and women who had a clear commitment to the living God, even back in the Old Testament. In fact, by the way, Adam and Eve, uh, uh, though they're not listed here in the, in the hall of faith, their son Abraham is listed, I mean, Abel is listed in the first example, verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. How did Abel know what an acceptable sacrifice was? Because his parents, his parents had a, had a real relationship with the living God. And of course they blew it for all of us, but, but God still redeemed them by, 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 of course he dressed them in the skins. You can go back to lesson one, I think that was, and, and read the story of, of Adam and Eve, but they taught their sons, 
how to offer a right sacrifice to God. And so, so Abel did. But then we move from Abel's story to verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found. Why? Why was he found? Because God had taken him. But you find out more about Enoch. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And, and so in the Old Testament, in Genesis, when it talks about Enoch, it, talk, it talks about Enoch walked with God. So there was a relational commitment Enoch had to God. Abel was committed to God. He offered the right sacrifice. And then you get into Noah um, and without, well, verse six, and without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. One of the greatest verses of scripture, you gotta memorize this verse, verse six, Hebrews eleven six. It says, without faith, it is impossible to, ble to please God. And so there is, we're not talking about faith in 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 just generalities here. We're talking about faith in a living God whose promise from Genesis through Revelation is that he would send his son Jesus to save and redeem this world from their brokenness. That is the story that God has presented to us. And now we're celebrating Christmas. We're at the end, of, we're in December going into the Christmas season. And so like no other time, we're focused on this reality of what it is that God has promised us and what he's invited us into. And it is a commitment to God. So we're not in it to get things from God. We're in it for God himself. So if you want the promise so, for instance, we're going to start looking into the verses Noah by faith, Noah being warned by God uh, concerning events as yet unseen and reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he commended, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. And then we read about, of course, our forefather, Abraham, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was about to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. These are all men and women. There are women that come on later, Sarah and on, but these are people that we've studied already and we've seen their lives and the commitment that these people had to God was not simply awaiting what God would do for them, but a hunger for God himself. So to people without a clear commitment to the promise giver, life by faith is pointless. It makes no sense outside of the living God. It makes no sense because when you hit those seasons where you suffer for your obedience, where waiting goes too long, where others seem to be doing better, where God seems far away, the problem, those feelings that we feel in those seasons usually are aggravated when what we want becomes greater than who God is. And, uh, and if you want the promise more than you want the promise giver, you'll find yourself living in constant disappointment. And one of the reasons we struggle with faith, really making this very practical, maybe you started off, remember when you first came to Jesus, you understood this commitment because, because you had an encounter with the Lord. Everyone who gives their life to Jesus, there comes a moment of awareness that God sent his son to die for my sin. And he did this because I could not save myself and because I'm desperate for a savior. And there's a connection that happens. There's an awareness, a humility that says, I cannot save myself. I need you, Lord. And there's a fire in our heart for him. But then we hit those seasons where we come to God with an agenda or an expectation. And when, when we want things from the promise giver more than we want him, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How does he reward us with himself? Now, does he give us promises and does he answer promises? Yes, but if you want the promise more than you want the promise giver, you will find yourself constantly living in disappointment. If you hang on to the promise tighter than you hang on to the promise giver, you will find yourself exhausted 
It, it, this is the story of 2020. If you have, if you are at the end of 2020 just depleted because you're like, man, when will this end? The entire focus of our year here, as we've talked about Unshaken, is this twist, this change in our perspective. We don't want to hold on. We want to. We want. We, 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 you, the promise God gives us promises to remind us of what is to come. But our hope between now and then is Him. He fills us. We have a relationship with him so that though the world may disappear, we still have our feet planted on the solid rock, solid rock of Jesus. And, and so as you go through Hebrews 11, and again, it's a long chapter. You can read it later. I hope you've read it coming into this. That was the secret for faith for every one of those people. Abraham waited for his son. Noah built an ark. There was not one person who came in the ark outside of his family. How did he endure? How did Abel how did, how, go down, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses? How did they do it? Because they had a clear commitment. It was resolved in their mind that they were following Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. It was in the Gospels where Jesus says, he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus warned people before they followed him. He says, listen, when you come to follow me, you need to count the cost. He, he, he didn't tell us it would be easy, but he said he would be with us always. And so to people without a clear commitment to the promise giver, life by faith is pointless. It makes no sense. Nobody would want to do this for a system. But, but may I remind you tonight, if you have been wavering, if you have been disappointed, if you have been exhausted, perhaps part of the problem is that you are putting too much weight on what it is you want God to provide instead of hanging on to the Lord himself. And may I remind you again that like Peter, who stepped out of the boat, when you start sinking and you don't think you can hang on, the good news is that God's got a hold on you. And so that's the joy of the Christian is knowing that even when I fail, and of course, Abraham, there were moments in his life where he failed. Moses, of course, we know he failed and he struck the rock. When he, I mean, there's over and over again, there are things in these people, men and women who've studied, who we've studied, who failed repeatedly, and yet God's faithfulness to them never faltered because there was a commitment, there was a covenant. The Old Testament and the New Testament languages, God's language is a language of covenant. God is covenanted to you. And that picture, in, of course, in Abraham's life early on in the dream where he had, where God you know, has him sleep and shows him how, how there's a sacrifice and God comes through and it all depends on God. All of it depends on God. And, uh, and so that's number one. Here's number two. Let's keep going because I, I want to get into the end of this today too. Uh, here's, here's number two. To people without a clear perspective for a better future, life by faith is pointless. I'm going to read that again. To people without a clear perspective for a better future, life by faith is pointless. All right? Uh, let, let me explain this a bit and, and go back to Hebrews 11.1. 11, faith is a substance of things hoped for. The entire purpose of faith is, you know, when you put your faith in God, it's for things that are to come. And so, so you go to verse 6, this big verse that, we've, that I've mentioned. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw to God must believe, so there's a future thing coming, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Now we read through Abraham, and then he tells us a little bit about Sarah, and then we get to verse 13, all right? And here's what it says. These all died in faith. Listen, we live in faith, but these men and women died in faith. You go, what does that mean? Here it is. Not having received the things promised. This is the pivot for our joy. There's so many reasons for joy in the Christian life, but if you don't catch this, then you're not living like Christians ought to live. And so let me, let me finish these verses. 
These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. This is not our homeland. I don't care what side of the elections you were on. This is not our homeland. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is a better world to come. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Okay, if you don't drop hearts and high fives on this thing, I, I don't know what will excite you. Because if we've ever, if we've ever been in a season, in a year, in a time, in a narrative where we need to be reminded that this is not our home, it is now. Listen, to people without a clear perspective for a better future, life by faith is pointless. Abraham waited. Moses gave up when you keep reading. Moses gave up life with Pharaoh as a son of the most powerful person on earth. He could have stayed. He gave all of it up, why? Because he had a vision for something better. He had a clear commitment. These men and women that we're studying Hebrews 11, they had a, a commitment to the King of Kings, to the God who created everything. They understood there just was a relationship. A commitment is based on trust. He loves us. We trust him. And then we know there's something better coming. We're living not for what we get here on this earth, but for something bigger and better and gooder. Now we get a taste of it in Christ. It is both now and later. There's the kingdom of God come now in us. Jesus Christ is living in us. And we, we listen, the truth is we don't see that. It's easy to miss it because we don't think about it. Our minds are distracted. I sit down on my sofa and I, I go, okay, I'm going to read something important, a book. I've got a ton of books, some in my Kindle, some on my table. And, and then I open the phone and I go to my Twitter and then I go to my Facebook. And then I'm telling you, the truth is a struggle constantly. And you're like, well, can't you just remove them off your phone? You can try, but look, we're like nine years into social media. It's hard, it's a battle. But if you don't force yourself to think, why do we come here every week? Why do we get here and open God's word? And why are we excited about this time with you? Because if we are not reminding ourselves regularly, we're not living for this world. If you've had the worst year of your life, it's okay. It's going to get better. Maybe you're one of those lucky ones and you had the best year of your life. There's a few of you, but still, how far does that take you? At the end of the day, you get married and then you wake up and realize you just married another human who, and then you're like, I, I thought I married a prince. And, and, and then you're disappointed. And five years later, you want to leave. And, and some of you, you're in it now and you're fighting for your marriages. And listen, you understand, like we have, we're, we, we long for perfection. And the reason we do is that God has put in us a desire for something better. And if we're in Christ, we know that something better is coming. There will be a time when we will no longer be in a broken world like this. And listen, this is what gives us urgency. This is what gives us the sense of purpose to tell people around us about the truth. Listen to me, faith hinges on the fact that there is a better future coming. Jesus came and he says, I go and prepare a place for you. And then he's going to come back in John 14, the language, the last three 
John 14, 15, 16, going into 17, all red letter verses in the Gospel of John. Jesus' last words to us, the language is a, a language about God, Jesus going to prepare a place for us, but the purpose wasn't for him to leave us and be like, this is over. No, there will come a day when we will live in a world that is far different than this is. Some of you who are watching, I don't want to pick on anybody over 75, but some of you who are starting to be in that phase of life and you know who you are. I'm not talking about my mom or anything, but, but I'll hear her say sometimes, like, I'm ready. She doesn't mean it in a negative way. I understand what she means. It's because we know that we have a Savior who, as Peter said, we're going to see him and our hearts burn with joy, inexpressible. We cannot wait to see him face to face. And so um, think about these things. Faith rests in knowing that there is a God who sees us right now and all that we're going through. Faith hinges on, isn't always perfect, but trust the one who is. Faith trusts the one who is. So to people without a clear perspective for a better future, life by faith is pointless. Does it make any sense? If this is the end, it's true. That was the premise of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, man, without the resurrection, our faith is pointless. Why are we wasting our time? But the resurrection sets up the whole of it so that we are, we are living towards an eternity where we are not, if you're in Christ, you won't die. Your body will fade, but your soul will go just from this life to the next. And, and if Christ returns before that, then you'll just go on to glory. And so these truths are not things that, they're not, there's theories. They're not just things that are written in a book. These are realities that ought to change the way that we live. As you think about the new year and you write down your five-year goals and your 10-year goals, are you thinking about how you're going to get a strategy to influence the people in your life? How are you going to share these truths to those around you so that they can get a taste of heaven as well, so that they can meet Jesus who will sustain them in the time until they, we finally live in that place where there's no more pain, no more tears, no more agony. You know these things are true. Here's the last thought. So we're talking about sustaining unshaken when my faith seems pointless. First, to people without a clear commitment to the promise giver, life by faith is pointless. Number two, to people without a clear perspective for a better future, life by faith is pointless. And number three, uh, let me. this is a bit of a mouthful, but I think this is so important. To people without the willingness to consecrate what is most valued to what is most valuable, life by faith is pointless. Let me read it again. To people without the willingness to consecrate what is most valued to what is most valuable, the life by faith is pointless. Let me take you to verse 17 here. So we've sort of read through uh, more or less most of the verses coming to verse 17. We're picking back on Abraham. He's our father of faith. Why? Here it is. By faith, Abraham. So we've already seen him go after God. This is the first person that had a relationship with the Lord after the destruction of the world. So he's a father of faith. Every The three major religions, Islam, um, Judaism, and Christianity claim Abraham to be their father. Uh, but, but here it is, by faith, Abraham. So, so we've already established that he had the promise of a son, that he waited, that he was faithful, etc. Now, 25 years, he's waited for a son because you trust God. You want him and not the gifts. Now you go, well, how, how do I know if I love God the most? Well, here it is. It's coming. Uh, God is going to test you. Uh, God is going to put you in a place where you can figure out for yourself who you love the most. Because often I think I love God the most. But when it comes to, does it really happen in my life? Well, the only way to know is, are you willing to consecrate that which you love the most to God? Now, this is not a sadistic God who is coming after you, man. I gave you this. I want to see if you know that's not the relationship. It's that God knows that he is the one who fulfills us the most, that fills us the most. And so anything less than worship of him is, is a subtraction of our joy. And so 
This story that I'm going to read you here in a second about Abraham offering his son Isaac, it's not a test for God to see whether Abraham really loves him. This is really for Abraham's sake. It's a purifying test, and it is an opportunity for Abraham to show God that indeed he's a man of faith who believes indeed those things. Not just He doesn't just believe God because God gave him a son. He believes God because he trust this God who has called him, who has loved him, who has been faithful to him throughout these years. And so by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is so powerful. The story in Genesis chapter, uh, I think it's 24, just to go back for a minute, I had my nephew, uh, oh, it was Genesis 22, I'm sorry. I had Sam over here and we review these stories. He's watched them on Right Now Media. If you've got kids, you got to get Right Now Media. Put them before. If they want to watch TV, let them. But put good godly stuff. He knows these stories inside out. And, and we talked about this and, and he, he reminded me of, of the verse where God says, Abraham reaches out his hand. He takes a knife to slaughter his son. And, and in Genesis 22, uh, the angel of God, you know, the angel of the Lord calls to him, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. And that fear of God is a love, is a deep love for God. You say, how, 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 how does this play out in my life? The truth is that we all love something. And in principle, if you're a follower of Jesus, we all intellectually say, man, I love God more. But the only way for you to know if that's true, because you can say it, but so often we say it, but our life doesn't reflect it. And every week and every month, we see examples of men and women who fail miserably in their Christian life. Why? Because it is evident that though they love God, they love something or someone more. Or maybe it's themselves. They love themselves more. And so I've been thinking a bit about that today. What is it that I love the most? And how can I tell? Is it God who I love the most? And the way that, that I can, in a sense, prove is how do I, what do I do when God puts me to the test? Am I willing to consecrate to him those things that, that maybe have replaced uh, and the priority in my, in my life? And so I've just been jotting even, that might be a good exercise in your life even tonight before Bible study. I just sort of jotting down some of the things in my life that I can't tell what I love the most sometimes. I say I love God, but my life might reflect something else. And so I jotted down some of those things, you know, success. I love success. I love the ministry, this ministry. I love security, the comfort of security, of having my needs met. Uh, you know, you write down these things, reputation, etc. You can write that maybe for you. It's a relationship. I don't know what it is that you love the most, but but I found in my life that God will at times put us to the test. And there will be seasons where you won't see fruitfulness. That's how you know. The test to know what you love the most is what happens when, when things don't go well in your life. What happens when you suffer in your life? How do you respond when the comforts in your life are taken? I've watched high schoolers. We have in our family people who love football. And so I've watched them as they've wrestled with that. And, and they love God, but they love a sport. And again, it's hard. You're young and are growing. But listen to me. What happens when that dream of playing football is taken away because of COVID? Well, that's a test. That's a test that reveals who you love the most. Are you? Yes, it hurts. Yes, there's mourning. If you don't get to do the thing you want to do, if your dreams shatter, if you go through failure, if you lose a job that you needed, yes, I understand that it hurts. And sometimes the pain is deep and you might have lost forever. Maybe you had a person who died because of a sickness. You can't bring them back, but that is also a reminder, a test. And so in these 
painful places tonight, are you willing to say, God, I consecrate those things. Think about your life. Let the Holy Spirit search you and know, man, God, what is it that I'm hanging on to? And you say, what do I need to consecrate to, to God? The point here is to people without the willingness to consecrate what is most valued in your life. Listen, God will provide a lamb, but are you willing to consecrate what you love the most what you value the most to what is most valuable. There's nothing more valuable in your life than Jesus. There's no one that will meet you in your places of need. A song came to mind tonight as I was reflecting before the service, and it's a common song you might know from the old days. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread way, sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. The second verse is just as powerful. I'd rather have Jesus than vain applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. Listen, the only way, if you say these words, you might sing them and mean them, the only way you know is when you're put to the test. Sometimes the test comes in ways you expect, and other times it's, it takes you by surprise. Sometimes there's not a moment where it doesn't have to be through a sudden loss. Sometimes it's just the Holy Spirit saying, listen, there's this area in your life that you've grown to love more than you love Jesus. Are you willing tonight to consecrate that back to him? Listen, I jotted down some names that we have in Hebrews 11, amazing list of men and women of faith. Uh, Hebrews 12 goes on to say that these are the clouds of witnesses waiting for us. But do you know there's so many modern day men and women thought about David Brainerd who died at 29. He was a missionary, suffered of tuberculosis and died to the outside, to the person without faith. His life looked like a waste. Oswald Chambers Devotional, I've been reading every day since my 20s, died at 39 of a burst appendix. Man, Amy Carmichael had a back injury. She was a missionary in India who saved kids who were offered for sex slavery. She saved them. She was doing such a good work. She falls, has a back injury that leaves her bedridden for 20 years. To the person without faith, these lives seem wasted. As she continued to faithfully write about God's goodness and the power of Calvary's love, there's Jim Elliott and others, the five other young men with him who went in to share the gospel and share Jesus Christ with men who had never heard it before. And they were, they were killed by that village. And he was 29 years of age. His wife stayed in that place. Elizabeth Elliott has written some, some incredible books on suffering. There's a new one that just came out that everybody ought to read. There's, there's others. There's William Borden of Yale at 25. This guy was born in a rich family from Chicago. His dad was so rich, he takes him on a like gap year. Basically, they go travel the world after his graduation. This is back in whatever years ago. This isn't recent. And, and he goes on a trip around the world. He becomes so just convicted by the state of affairs and decides how the poverty, the, the things that he saw on that trip moved him so much, he became, he wanted to be a missionary. 
People thought he was going to waste his life. He ends up going to Yale with the plan to be a missionary afterwards. He, at Yale, he's so burdened by, by the faithlessness of people there. He starts to meet and pray with someone. They, a revival ensued at, ensued at Yale so that in those four years that he was at Yale, he became such a strong spiritual leader. There were over 1,300 young men and women at Yale who would gather and pray regularly. So he feels compelled to go and be a missionary to Muslims in China. And so at 25, on his way to China, he stops in Egypt to learn Arabic. This is William Borden of Yale. You can look up his story. He goes to Egypt and he, in that year, as he was studying Arabic, he contracts spinal meningitis and he dies. And as a man who had consecrated his life to the Lord, news of his death came back to the United States. He was well known enough that people were mourning this loss. What a waste. What a waste. And when they found his Bible, the, uh, the three things that were written in his Bible at different times in his life, the first time he had written early in his, in his time at Yale, no reserves. And then after that, right after he graduated from Yale, he had written no retreats. And when they found his body dead and brought him back to the United States, they found his Bible and underneath no reserves and no retreats. At some point he had written no regrets. Listen to me, you might be walking in faith and thinking, is it worth it? Is it worth it? You need to spend some time in Hebrews 11 tonight. To the person without commitment to Christ, the life by faith is pointless. The good news is that you have been invited into a relationship with Christ tonight. To the person without a clear perspective for a better future, life by faith is pointless. Maybe today you just needed a reminder. The best is yet to come. And to people without the willingness to consecrate what is most valued to the one who is most valuable. Listen, are you willing to consecrate that which you love the most for the one who is the most precious? There's nobody watching you. You might be in your room alone right now and perhaps the Holy Spirit is just asking you, man, will you consecrate that which you think you need? Abraham took his son, raised the knife and was willing to give him up. Why? Because he trusted that God was faithful to provide and God did. 